This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. And even if you want to ask, like, well, of course, like, why? Why do you want to sleep on the floor instead of your bed? There'll be some answer. And um, if it's even if it's based on fears or something, it's still not a bad thing if a child's coming up with a solution for something. Like, even if it's like, well, yeah, then the monsters, uh, there won't be any monsters under my bed because I'm going to be on the floor. Okay. I don't know anyone who's stayed sleeping on the floor their whole lives. These are usually just phases, particularly at this age, um, where there's still innocence and imagination and creativity. So I say, move on to the next parenting concern if you can. Hello, all of our wonderful Parent Footprint listeners. I want to welcome everyone to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan's newest bonus episode. Our bonus episodes are all about you, me, and your parenting questions. And that's why we call these bonus episodes Sitting Down with Dr. Dan. Starting today, January 31st, 2023, every listener gets to hear the episodes where we answer your listener questions and starting next month, we're excited to begin releasing our back catalog of bonus episodes. I know that the topics will help you be the parent that you want to be and also get you focused on that guiding question I always ask you to think about, and that is, what footprint do you want to leave? So let's get going. You all know me. I'm Dr. Dan. And today, I'm excited to introduce you to our podcast producer, Laura Rossi. Laura is a mom to twins and also a special needs parent. She produces our show and handles everything, our guests, our production, producing Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, and working with our amazing network, Exactly Right Media, founded by my favorite murder co-hosts, Georgia Hartstark and Karen Kilgariff. And today, Laura joins me to answer your new questions of the month. So just remember, we read every question you submit. So please keep sending us these great emails and messages. You can contact us via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or email us at podcast at drdampeters.com. Laura, this is what everyone's been asking for. So let's do this. Hi, Dr. Dan. Hi, Parent Footprint listeners. Hi, Exactly Right. And hi, Murderinos. Dan's right. We have been dreaming about this for a long time, and now in 2023, it's a reality. We know you have been asking how you can listen to our bonus episodes and this different content. Well, we're thrilled that Dan's going to share his wisdom widely now because these episodes are going to be in your main parent footprint podcast feed. So Dan and I can see each other on video. I'm doing a big woohoo, hands in the air. Yep. We are excited. 
And as always, your questions are incredible. And boy, do I have some great ones for Dr. Dan today. So as Dan said, we read every question. We consider every question. If we don't schedule a question for a certain month, I save them for future shows. Don't be shy. Just go for it. Send your questions. Kicking off today, we have a question that came into our email, which again, some of you, this is the first time hearing our bonus episodes. That email address is podcast at drdanpeters.com. So Dr. Dan, what age is it okay to leave children home alone? And how do you know if your kids are ready? This is a great question now that we've been emerging out of COVID for a while and because everyone was home together for a long time and probably some kids were never left home alone and no one was ever home alone and even though we wanted to be (laughs) at times. So, okay, so let's start with what the law says. And what's interesting about this is different states have different laws. So where I am in California um, at this time, there is no actual law. There's no age in the law. It's more about parent judgment, which we will talk about shortly. And as an example, uh, in the state of Kansas, it is apparently age six, which seems awfully young to me. And then not so far away in the state of Illinois, the legal age is 14, which actually seems too old to have that be the youngest age. Yes. So so one thing to think about first is where you are and what the the rules are just as some guideposts so you know what your um what the expectations are from a legal perspective. However, really what we're looking at is who your child is. Oh, let me say one more thing is experts say about 11 or 12ish is a good age to start thinking about this or or and doing it. As, as sort of a benchmark. Um, but it really is about your individual child because we have our chronological age and then we have our developmental and maturity age. And we know that some people are mature beyond their years and other people um, are a little later to develop that maturity um, beyond age. You know, some people appear their age, some people appear older, some people appear younger in terms of how they act. So as a parent, my guidance always is, who is your child? How does your child handle different life events? Right. So we look at responsibility. We look at communication. We look at trustworthiness and honesty. We look at impulsivity, um, reg- emotional and behavioral regulation. Like how much can I manage myself? How much can your child manage him or herself? And all of that goes into who's ready and at what time are you ready? And then how do we do little trials? Because everything I think in parenting at one point or another is an experiment. Like you're doing an experiment, right? To see if your Laura's nodding her head and laughing. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very so, true. Like, is your child ready? Well, we usually don't know until we try something or until something happens that we didn't plan. And then we still find out the answer. So, Ideally, we're building up to, hey, let's, uh, you know, I'm just going to run down the street to so-and-so's house and I'll be back in 10 minutes. You feel comfortable being alone. And, and let me say this. There's a couple ways that, that this happens. One is a child is like, I want to I stay home alone. Like, I want to be alone. Why won't you let me be home alone? I can handle it. So it comes from the, uh, from the child. The other side is you are really trying to help at a certain, at a particular age, your 
your own growing child's independence, self-confidence, self-efficacy. So then you, or an overcoming anxiety, perhaps separation anxiety, uh, or other kinds of uh, worries. And you're trying to say, Hey, why don't you just, I just need to run down the street. Could you just keep an eye on the dog or the cat? (laughs) Or, um, I'll just be back in five minutes or 10 minutes. Um, are you okay? You know, you have my cell number. Again, most people have cell phones. And these are ways, again, to increase confidence in certain situations as well. Well, you are Dr. Dan. So, of course, you brought the legal piece in, which I it didn't even occur to me to think about the fact that depending on where you live, there are different rules and regulations and things called laws. So, mm-hmm. yes, all listeners, because we know you're all over um, everywhere, actually globally, we have listeners all over, but, um, certainly domestically in the United States, check your state rules and regulations and, you know, make sure you're following them. And then I'm going to just pat myself on the back here twice because I have twins. We did the right thing. We're past that age, but you know, where you're leaving your kids alone for the first time, but we had a combination of kind of each child, we have a boy and a girl and our son has special needs, but um, he's high functioning. So letting them dictate, you know, kind of what they wanted and what their comfort level was and then doing these little tests. And um, I can remember like it was yesterday. One of the first tests was my husband and I went out jogging mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just around That's the neighborhood. A good one. That's a good We're one. on the East Coast, but we did, you know, kind of like a two loop jog, which, you know, is not even three miles, but it was enough time that they knew we were going to be gone and they were in charge of themselves and they mm-hmm. loved it. And we really, you know, kind of the narrative was really positive mm-hmm. and supportive and also same thing, cell phone in the pocket. So if you need us, we're back. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we kind of followed those baby steps and then we were at a neighbor's and it was nighttime. So for our kids, they didn't want to be alone at night in the beginning. I don't know if it's dark that, and scary. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's yes. it. So yep. we had a little, you know, component of, making sure they didn't feel frightened or scared. I mean, we right. live in a great, wonderful place, but still yeah, little kids, you know, they have great imaginations, but also they're not used to being home alone at night. If you're not there, mom and dad or caregivers or mom and mom or dad and dad, there's usually a babysitter or a childcare person. So this, you know, was a big deal kind of graduating to that level. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we were able to go out in town where, you know, we actually took a car and we're able to enjoy, you know, kind of a night out and they put themselves to bed. And so it, we just, that's huge. That's a big milestone. That one. It was huge. And I feel so proud of my husband and I, because we did not rush it. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were elated that each time they had a great experience and that built a wonderful foundation for the times where, you know, inevitably you're rolling the dice people. So you're going to get a call, right? Something happened, something broke or somebody doesn't feel well. And, you know, you mentioned trust proving to the, to your kiddos or your single child, we're going to, we'll be back. We'll be home in five minutes or we'll be home in 10 minutes or, you know, wherever you are kind of in that progression and you just build up a different kind of trust. And that just is a launching pad for Mm -hmm. so much independence and milestone meeting. So I think our person who asked this question, or maybe it's a a set of parents, I like that they added a second question. How do you know if your kids are ready? Because you always talk about let the child dictate and, you know, just talking about ages versus kind of readiness and, you know, kind of emotional maturity. Right. It's, like everything, right. it's case by case with it is case all by of our case. children. And I, I think in Laura, you have a I mean, semi-unique situation where the twins got to be, especially at the beginning, with each other 
and I know um, different levels of maturity and developmental uh, of, of development. What about the times I, I'm, uh, when they each did it for the first time by themselves? Because that then would be another developmental milestone. Yes. So to all of the, my twin parents and yeah. multiple parents, multiples, you know, they're more than more than just two. Those were almost bigger moments mm -hmm. now that I'm looking back because they know nothing about sort of not having each other. Um, right. And even though there was some separation in their your school journeys, this, you know, I'm going to be alone for the first time. That yeah. felt really big to each of them. And they didn't like it in the beginning, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. They each were like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I like this. Right. <laughs> so, and now it's, um, you know, they're, they're, they've just left the teens. So they're both 20 years old now. And, you know, I don't remember any looking back even after they kind of got it under their belts mm -hmm. to be alone, alone. Yeah. So yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, Very yeah. cool. For twins, right? You're together in the womb and um, you're you're together and so connected. So I imagine that being alone is even more um, impactful as a yeah. twin than as a non-twin. That's a great question yeah. because I, I kind of buried that in, in thinking about just yeah. the whole um, process of getting them to being able to be here without us. But right, then them being alone without each other was just uh, was another... Uh, exercise in my parenting journey. So yes. that's great. Okay. Well now um, we're going to move on to question number two. And this one was signed worried mom. Mm -hmm. So I just want to, you're not alone that. worried mom. You're not alone. So, and this one, I just thought, Oh gosh, I'm glad you're asking this because we're, we're in this right now. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, cruising through the month of January. And here is the question. The holidays came and went, and now it is a new year. And my elementary school age daughter is refusing to go to school. What is your advice, Dr. Dan? Nothing has changed that we are aware of. Thank you and help. Yeah, that's a, it's really tough. And a, there, there are many situations as a parent where we can feel completely powerless. And this is one of them for sure. So often it, se it seems that things haven't, everything's the same, right? There's nothing noticeably different in necessarily in the environment or you're not aware of anything that particularly that's happened. So in most cases, something obviously is going on. And the question is how much is just internal? How much is also related to external situation or external environment? Um, and then often it's a combination of the two. So in these situations, it's really trying to get to the bottom of gathering information. So obviously by this question, most kids aren't able or willing or wanting to talk about what's going on. It's just sometimes a shutdown and I'm not going, I don't want to go. Um, I don't want to talk about it or I don't know. And in that case, it's, um, you want to talk to the school, you want to, um, you be very sensitive of who you talk to on behalf of, you know, with your child's to keep your child's confidence and business within the family. But also if there are some close friends um, that you trust or close friends' parents to say, hey, we're just seeing some, some changes and we're wondering if you're aware of anything that might have transpired. There's so many different reasons that kids have school refusal. Um, often 
anxiety is huge. Um, it, it's a fear of something. And then it's what is the fear of? Um, sometimes there's an underlying learning issue and school has gotten, is getting harder and harder or there's a big project waiting or you've had a break and you just have a tough time transitioning back to the environment. Other times there is some subtle or not so subtle bullying going on through social media, which we usually can't see. Again, we don't know how young this child is, but many kids have um, cell phones by the end of elementary school these days. Um, and sometimes there just is spontaneous, something happens within a child that they, they develop all of this fear. So talking to people you know that are close to you, talking to the teacher and to school counselor, principal, to see if you can gather any information, letting them know what's going on because this is not new to them. Talking to your pediatrician is often a good place to go to because it is a... Um, objective, trusting person that we tell our kids, hey, when we are not feeling well, we go see a doctor, we go see a professional. And you're trying to show them that we consult and we're going to problem solve and we're going to figure this out. What I will say is it's a really delicate balance because a lot of the research shows with school refusal, the goal is to get the child back to school as soon as possible. And that is true. But we really need to be sensitive to the reasons because, for example, if someone is being bullied and you put them back into the lion's den without any plan, that's not good. So we are wanting to move your child back to school, but with a plan in place and with supports in place and know that sometimes it's a start stop and it's a very vulnerable time for an entire family when this happens. Yeah, I, I felt kind of emotion reading yeah. this question and the fact that the mom put the word worried in there really mm -hmm. kind of almost yeah. triggered me because I, I know every parent has had that moment where the kid is, you know, digging their heels in. And when, you know, an elementary school age child is just simply refusing, you know, mm -hmm. physically refusing. I mean, I could just, kind of feel that pain. And that's really rough. And, you know, I'm just thinking for this, this person who asked the question, what, so as a parent, I think, okay, what do you do? First of all, if they're mm -hmm. really, if they're just crying and having a total, you know, tantrum or meltdown and they don't want to go, you know, that's one thing that you want to sort mm -hmm. of work through. And maybe you can't that morning right. or that day or that afternoon. But one of the things that I always was aware of raising our twins when they were in elementary school was the minute you start setting a precedent, you're, you're kind of, you, you're, you get yourself stuck. Right. So if you don't push on Monday, Tuesday is going to be worse. I mean, is that right? Or is that really, well, I, I mean, think, what do you do? How yeah. do you decide as the parent to push and even through the tears, right. you're, you're going, you have to go today maybe while you're information gathering, because I think this question in particular struck me because there's gotta be something going on, even if it's not obvious right. and the holiday break right. somehow made something blossom that this child is right. refusing to go this, this young daughter. Yes. So, um, yeah, I, so that's a really good, that's a really good point. I, um, I think you do your very best to get your child to school, even in all of the emotion. 
but you use your gut instinct when you know, okay, something is not right, and I've pushed to a point that I don't want to push further because of how upset and dysregulated this child is. And that is to say, there are some kids who could be this upset every day, right? I mean, like, so it's, it's a, it's a really fine line. It's just, you don't want to do, you don't want to just do nothing. So if this is something that happens on a Monday and you can't get your child to school, then, okay, we're going to try this again tomorrow, right? You don't necessarily have to um, pull the alarm bells on the first day, because who knows, maybe there is, um, you have a good day together. Um, you should be doing a lot of soothing and comforting. Um, but not because this is the new way. And then you try again on Tuesday. If the same thing happens on Tuesday, okay, now we need to, we need to talk to people. All right. You know, we need to let the school know that this is happening. Um, they might want to talk to us. Um, we're going to talk to our doctor. Like you get, you get into action so that that's different than yeah we're just this is going to be our new way. I just have to say, um, having had this experience at some point in our parenting journey, it is um, it can be really overwhelming and very confusing when all of a sudden this thing happens. And so, yes, you want to try to push, but you also have to be aware when there's something really going on that needs to be addressed beyond just, okay, let's go back to school. And I, and the other thing I'm realizing that I was focused on anxiety. Well, there are lots of reasons these days um, and prior that kids get depressed as well or are depressed. So it's not just worry and anxiety. It could also be sadness, depression, lethargy, lack of energy, um, and all of that does need to be looked at. And that's why the, the pediatrician is a good place to start because you take a look at the whole me, uh, emotional, psychological, and medical behavioral um, aspects of a child. And then, you know, the good pediatricians have good conversations and make some good referrals and have some good suggestions for you. So mm-hmm. just looping back to Laura, like, cause you're making you're, the point is sort of like, how do we not set a precedent that you don't have to go to school if you are just really upset and cry, right? Like that's one end of right. the spectrum, right? Which right. is we have to, if you have a child who's been doing this for eight years, then that's different than if you have a child where this is a newer thing that you're not used to. Right. And all of this just has to be taken into account when we're trying to do our best and the best thing as you, those of our listeners who've been with us for a while know, the number one thing we need to do is regulate ourselves and check ourselves in this situation because this can be so upsetting and anxiety-provoking for us as parents that we don't always handle it emotionally in the best way because of our own understandable worry and anxiety about the situation. We amp up, and then we can jack up our kids even more than they're already feeling. It's, that it's, was it's very hard. well said. But that... that you're right. I mean, that is one of the foundational things that we talk about on this show is checking yourself and having that regulation and what are you bringing to the situation. Mm-hmm. And for the listeners that you know are tuning in today, one thing that does help us, you know, we love every question, but if you feel comfortable including the age yeah. of your child, sometimes mm-hmm. we can just give you a little more feedback. And right. I think Dan, you know, you sort of hit all the top talking points on this. And I would just say that my red flag when I thought about this for kind of an older elementary school age child was 
I did go right to that potential of bullying because, mm-hmm. you know, my read on this was it seems like things were fine. So maybe this mom didn't sort of have that tapped in thing going on with what was happening, but for something to then happen on the kind of end of break before returning to school, maybe this child just reached a breaking point. And, you know, one thing that I would just recommend from my own personal experiences, when elementary school kiddos are starting to use technology, um, a lot of experts and parents do sometimes have a way of monitoring social media or being in touch, you know, as these kiddos, you know, emotional intelligence is developing and their maturity is developing. Um, It's not to violate their privacy, but rather to almost be kind of a guardian of just what's happening and dealing with maybe situations that are a little too complex for that age, you know, and if it yeah. is bullying that is stemming from something like social media, which is very common, mm-hmm. having yep. a look at maybe, you know, keeping those rules of no phones in the room, all the things that we know are good practices in terms of technology and phones and, you know, being connected 24 seven. I do know for a fact that our children knew this, that we, we did have an eye on their social that we would take a look at, you know, whatever the first account you maybe you're letting your son or daughter be part of taking a little peek and just giving a read through because there could be a clue there as well when you're mm-hmm. doing that information gathering. But I do, yeah. I really, um, I do feel for this mom yeah. and family because, you know, I can just picture yeah. I got such a visual of, you know, a child refusing yeah. to leave their house. And that is just, that is sort of Very devastating powerless. for the parent yeah. and yeah. for the yeah. child. So. Well, maybe we'll get an update. You know, that's yes. the other thing. Now that these episodes are going to yes. be running for everyone to hear, you know, please yeah. um, comment, leave information uh, on our reviews. And just we want to hear from Worried Mom. So now we're going to question number three. And this one, if you all could see me, this one is one that maybe if I wasn't me, I might blush about, but I'm kind of like, hey, you know, anything goes, you got to just sort of be with it and go with the flow. And Dr. Dan, I'd like to think you're the same way. So this came in on an email and it says simply this. I think my 17 year old son is having sex in the house when we are home. What do we do? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that's bold. I got to say it. I mean, (laughs) empty house is one thing. I mean, you know, uh, my kids just graduated from high school. So I'm just thinking, but when you are home, it depends on the family and it depends on, I think it's all about communication. So I actually think like stepping back when our kids are young, some of some kids are very, um, you know, once they realize their private parts and they start touching themselves and they are going around naked and they're feeling themselves and just start masturbating in the open family room, parents say, hey, because of course we never want to shame kids about doing human things and being human. They say, hey, well, you know, this is, you you educate. This is something that um, is normal. And generally when we do these things, we do them in privacy um, because it's something that's private for you and not necessarily for other people to see who might feel uncomfortable. 
Um, this True. is a grown up version of the conversation, which is what, what is the comfort of your family um, with your family values? And I mean, by this question, I, we are as assuming this doesn't seem that cool. And this is, this is boundary setting. This would, this would be boundary setting with your teenager, almost legal adult, which is what you're comfortable mm -hmm. with and how you see it as, again, not a shaming thing. Because if, I mean, who knows what the situation is? Is this a, is this a longer term partner? Is this not? You know, like there might be well, there might be a lot of different things going on here when it comes to as a parent what you're thinking about and perhaps worrying about and not feeling comfortable with. I say you have a conversation about it, and um, you can flat out ask. You know, I just have to ask, like, is this going on? And then you guys have to decide how you, how you feel about that. It could be that. Hey, we know that this is going to happen, but we're not comfortable with it happening while we're here. Um, the other thing is, you know, these are minors. It's still, you know, this is the house they live in, but it's your house. And I just think you want to have realistic communication and conversation about it because, you know, a, a typical response uh, of many teenagers would say, okay, so do you want us just to wait till you leave? Or would you rather <laughs> just do it at a park or in the car? And and then these, you know, they really make us think, which is, what are we really saying here? And, you know, some people are not, um, have trouble with what is, you know, casual sex. Other people have trouble with um, premarital sex. Other people are just saying, I think it's disrespectful if we're here. So it really depends. I think you just have to get straight on what is your issue and what is the boundary but come at it in a way that's a conversation that's respectful. Because I feel like if we want respect back by setting a boundary that often kids might not think is disrespectful, like they, like I'm just living my life. I'm not being disrespectful. If we have to educate about something that feels disrespectful, it's really best when we show respect in the conversation about it. I love that a lot of the kind of Dr. Dan words of wisdom apply to any age. You know, we talk about respect and dialogue and having a conversation throughout the parenting journey and basically, you know, kind of debuting that when you can start having conversations with your children that are age appropriate, even when, you know, they're on the younger side. Now, with this question, one thing that struck me was that, you know, clearly something is making them aware that this <laughs> behavior might be happening. I don't know yeah, what yeah. it is. And I'm yeah. not going to guess right. <laughs> because right. we're, we try to not have an explicit rating on our show, but let's just say, you know, there are clues or whatever that, you know, has, has made uh, this parent suspicious of something. Yes. And the question definitely is framed in some discomfort. Yes. So going back to what you just said, I think that Figuring out where you're coming from and what your own issues are as the parent asking this question before you launch into that conversation and start to try to have a dialogue with your 17-year-old son mm -hmm. who is about to be an adult and, you know, maybe is going to college or leaving the home soon and that, right, there's a level of they're just living their life. The other thing that I always remember you talking about in many of our episodes, the regular ones, as well as the bonus ones are 
as the brain is developing, <laughs> these young people, you know, they're incredible and wonderful, but they're very me focused. Yes. And so there may be a complete lack of awareness mm -hmm. that there is anything disturbing the parent hearing anything, you know, happening in the home or having some clues that this behavior might be occurring when the parents are home. And so right. there could be embarrassment and feelings of awkwardness on the part of your son. And so again, bringing right. empathy and yes. humanity to the situation and yes. never shaming is, you know, sort of, again, I'm just kind of like the paraphrasing the Dr. Dan yeah. wisdom. I'm yeah. not a doctor. Yeah. I don't want to be a doctor, <laughs> but I do feel like I yeah. continue to learn and remind myself of this, even as my, you know, kids are really, you know, in the category of young adults now. And listen, yeah. this is, this is real. This is real stuff. And yeah. it's human stuff, right? It's human stuff. Yeah. And it's kind of cool that hopefully you can yeah. have a conversation with your child about this. Right. And, and, and something you're an making. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Reach an no, agreement. No, I was just saying yeah. reach an agreement that feels right for everyone because, yeah. um, you know, it's ideally, right. Ideally there is an agreement that works for everyone that everyone feels good about. That's like best case scenario. Yes. Yeah. What were you going to say though? Sorry. Just, I, I was, you were reminding me, um, that as parents of teenagers often were in the situation of thinking, how could they do this to us? And to your point, what you just said, uh, they're in their own world. They're not even most of the time thinking in these situations about us. They're not doing anything to us. They're just doing their life. And we have to help mm -hmm. educate them and bring them some awareness that their behaviors and certain behaviors do impact us. And that's kind of this, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't think about that. that that's a great place to yeah. leave this answer. I love that. So Dan, you know, between, you know, having me having twins, boy and a girl, special needs and typical, or, you know, we could say neurodiverse and neurotypical. We always want to be sort of, you know, correct in how we're um, labeling things. But um, I'm going to say for the first time since we've ever, you know, received a question, this one came in and I have no idea what it is. And I also wanted to just kind of have some suspense. So I didn't Google it or try to get the answer. Yes. I just am giving you this question because I, I kind of love it. <laughs> this was a DM on Instagram, which also we love getting questions through the Instagram um, DMs because they are private. Dr. Dan, what is jellyfish parenting? Question mark. Isn't that an interesting term? Jellyfish parenting. So what I'm, uh, I just love how it's so colorful. It is so colorful. <laughs> I mean, just... And there's more and more terms about parenting styles that have been coming out recently that I find are really creative um, ways of describing what turns out to be still often the main different categories of parenting. So I have recently heard about this too. It's only been recent that I heard this term. And oh, thank God. Yeah, I yeah, thought I yeah, was you, losing no, my you're edge. Not, no, you're not. This is like <laughs> very recent. And so okay. um, basically there's a few terms, jellyfish being one of them, that does correspond to often the big three of uh, parenting, authoritarian parenting, permissive parenting, and authoritative parenting. And these are parenting styles that have been studying studied for decades. And so I'm going to give you the three, the other two that go with jellyfish. So basically 
I'll get back to it. But jellyfish parenting is what's known as the permissive uh, parenting mm-hmm. style, um, whereas brick wall is that authoritarian, right? The the right. It's kind of like the two by four parents, like be seen, not heard, do as I say, not as I do, um, and be obedient. That's kind of an oversimplification statement. Um, and then backbone parenting is authoritative. Because uh, it's like you have this backbone. So the whole idea is jellyfish parenting. People are, they have warmth and they I'm communicate. I'm sorry. <laughs> but they don't take control of the situation and they're kind of inconsistent and they don't have clear boundaries. And whereas the um, brick wall ther- authoritarian parents, you know, that doesn't get a great rap these days. The research shows like this is not the one you want to adopt. But there are some situations when you need to take a hard line with a child or teen because of a safety issue or a family value issue. And then so the backbone parenting or the authoritative parenting is supposed to take the best of both of those where you really you listen to your child, you communicate, you listen to your child. It's more in line with the positive parenting, conscious parenting approach where we are wanting to teach our kids about empathy. We're wanting to teach our kids about labeling emotion. And we're aware that our kids are separate from us, not just an extension to meet our needs. So anyways, all that is to say is these are just more fun, newer words, I think, for the uh, old school parenting categories that we've all known for a long time. But now think of the colorful jellyfish and is just going like bloop, 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 through the water. And right. we don't want to be too jellyfishy with our kids. That was a good jellyfish impression. <laughs> not that, yeah, not yeah, that yeah, I know yeah. what a jellyfish yeah, yeah. sounds like. <laughs> but, you know, we, we both love the ocean, yeah, so yeah, we, we yeah, can kind of yeah, conjure yeah. that. But, well, I, that's a great explanation. And I do, I feel like, okay, you put a pin in the map that, right, these are maybe newer terms for things that we're all kind of talking about. But on top of everything else parents need to know, these labels and types of styles of parenting, things are ever changing. You know, it's a lot to be a modern parent. It is. I, I know we had a period not that long ago, we were getting a lot of questions about gentle parenting. Right. I think that's right. the right term. And it is yeah. actually several big uh, media outlets right. interviewed you about that. And um, so I was surprised that this one just kind of came out of yes. uh, Instagram and and really just, I, I had a giant question mark. Right. So Right. So, and everyone, since you just heard gentle parenting and you're like, oh, wait, now I don't know. I need to know about that. So <laughs> oh, just, sorry. There's, no, there's a lot of stuff out there on the, uh, you know, on the web that you can see, but basically gentle parenting is more in line with the positive parenting, conscious parenting, um, movement that I just referred to. Well, it's great. Yeah. I mean, lots yeah. of terms and yeah. thank God we have Google. Yes. Thank goodness. So we are coming up on our last question and I just want to take a minute again to thank everyone for listening. And we're really celebrating that you are hearing your questions. Some of you for the first time, some of you have been very loyal and have subscribed to um, our show in the past when it was behind a paywall, but these are all going to be in your feed now. So tune in every month and please, you know, Every question is a great question. And Dr. Dan and I, we read them all. So we just we really feel connected to you um, by being able to answer these questions. Absolutely. So question five is, um, so we, as Dan will remind you at the end of the show, we're on social media. This one came in from Facebook and it, oh, we have, we have two 10 year olds today. No, we have a 17 year old and a 10 year old. Okay. My 10 year old son shares a room with his younger brother who is eight. My 10-year-old wants to sleep on the floor instead of in his bed. 
I love this. Okay. This makes me think of our son who loved to sleep in big boxes that were his forts and spaceships. He loved to sleep in tented forts. And then at one point in our house, we'd have this, the bedroom had this, like it was an older closet situation where it has the, the, the closet doors and then up top are the cabinets that you open up and it, it went all the way through. So at one point, um, he wanted to sleep up there. So we built a ladder and then he had a sleeping nook that we made sure he wouldn't fall out of. That was like his cubby. And so I don't know if this is going to be affirming or more disconcerting what my answer is. My answer is like, how fun. Let him sleep on the floor until he doesn't want to sleep on the floor anymore. Because <laughs> I don't, ultimately, um, you know, he might have to sleep on a different part of the floor so his brother doesn't step on him when he gets out of bed or to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. But I think it's awesome. And I think if we can really cultivate our kids' creativity and their imagination, and even if you want to ask, like, well, of course, like, why? Why do you want to sleep on the floor instead of your bed? There'll be some answer. And um, if it's even if it's based on fears or something, it's still not a bad thing if a child's coming up with a solution for something. Like even if it's like, well, yeah, then the monsters, uh, there won't be any monsters under my bed because I'm going to be on the floor. Okay. I don't know anyone who's stayed sleeping on the floor their whole lives. These are usually just phases, particularly at this age um, where there's still innocence and imagination and creativity. So I say move on to the next parenting concern if you can. I love that answer. It might be one of my favorite question and answer sessions we have done yeah. on almost 20 bonus episodes. And I am awarding you and your wife the Coolest Parents Ever Award for setting up your son with a ladder to have a sleeping nook. That is magical. And I just, I mean, I don't want to, you know, have weird sounds. So, but if I could be doing loud applause right now that our audio engineer would not scold me for, I would be because that is just terrific. And it also aligns with, you don't have to make everything a big deal that's going to kind of, you know, turn into an issue and right. just letting your child take the lead there. I, that wouldn't have been my instinct that that was your answer. And I'm just, I'm smiling widely. I love it so much. And imagine the memories of this 10 year old saying, you know, when, when he's an adult, oh yeah, I had this period where I slept on my floor. My parents were cool that, you know, had like extra pillows and blankets they gave me. And you know, it was really fun. And then one day I was back in my bed. I don't even know why I did it now, but it was kind of a cool experience. Well, actually, you know, it's real fun. <laughs> he, uh, he's had a few different rooms where he slept in a loft. That was a part of okay. it. And then here as a almost 21 year old, when he um, moved out of state um, to his own place, he built himself a loft <laughs> that, I love it. that he now sleeps in. So it's but like, that's maybe yeah, this, yeah, this yeah, kiddo. Yeah. This may be, you know, kind of just like a similar young man who just this is what he likes and it feels good to him. And right. It's, it's not hurting anyone. It's not hurting him. Um, like you said, safety, maybe sort yep. of for the brother that has to maybe climb over him in the dark, half asleep, but otherwise it feels like an expression of creativity. Maybe there's a sensory piece to it, which I right, can talk about, right, you know, being right. a special needs parent, there's yep. something maybe that is fulfilling sensory seeking because the floor is a little harder. Um, and you know, maybe that that's just giving kind of a comfort and calming regulation to the body. Maybe it is just, you know, kind of being silly and trying it out and just 
having some cool 10 year old idea of like, what would happen if I slept on my floor? Yeah. So, you know, maybe we all need to take a, a lesson from that and just, we don't have to be serious about everything all the time in parenting and in adulting and to just yes. sometimes go with the flow. It might be sleeping on your floor, sleeping in a loft or, you know, staying in your bed like we're all probably doing as, as grownups now. So Yes. All right. Great questions. That's, that's a that's a that's a solid way to end this uh, this episode. Um, and for those of you who haven't listened to these bonus episodes before, uh, you will also be hearing from our amazing podcast engineer Phil Rossi, who will be uh, asking questions next time. So uh, we have a fun team and we uh, wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have you guys to be talking with and talking to. So a reminder to listen to our weekly regular show, Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, that drop every Thursday. And now these new bonus episodes will be dropping the last Tuesday each month, all in your regular feed. You know how to get a hold of us at Parent Footprint Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. You can learn more on our website, www.drdanpeters.com. We so appreciate you rating, reviewing, and sharing all of these episodes with anyone that you think will benefit and be a part of our community. Be the person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Mountain Spring High, composed and performed by Gabriel Lewis. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.